2: everyone and welcome to Q-Talk Radio. My name is Elena Klopp and welcome to our housing rights housing justice organization called the Eviction Defense Network in Los Angeles. We focus on anti-displacement, anti-discrimination, anti-anything that will uh, hurt a tenant work and we are an access to justice organization as well. And today on our first show we have two guests Nikki Jackson from the AIDS Healthcare Foundation who's gonna to talk to us about the AIDS Healthcare Foundation role in housing justice. And Paul Langto from the Los Angeles Tenants Union who is also gonna talk about the LA Tenants Union's great work doing anti-displacement, anti-gentrification work in LA. So, Nikki, tell us a little bit about you and tell us a little bit about the AIDS Healthcare Foundation and why
3: you're involved in Healthy Rights Work. Well, first of all, it's great to be in the studio with people I admire so much, as Elena Pop and uh, Tennant June. I'm, I'm a huge fan. Um, AIDS Healthcare Foundation started out as AIDS Hospice Foundation. And our first logo back in 1987 when we started was the letters AHF that formed the house? I'm sure I, my hand gestures are helping you see this on the radio. But they, uh, we really started out building housing or rehabbing housing, both, for uh, people with HIV AIDS in the final months of their lives. So we were housing people. That was our beginning. It's a full circle for us. Um, I started out as an artist. I was an artist most of my life, a professional artist, but I was also a very adamant activist, and I hooked up with Morris Kite when I was 15 and a half, and he was quite the gay pioneer. I, I actually met him through the anti-war movement, and in those far away days, that was before we had a gay and lesbian rights really going, except for grassroots efforts like Morris and before we had a cinder, before we had anything. And so I would drive Morris around at night after school, I was in college, and we would literally be helping people who were being thrown out of their apartments for being gay, for being lesbian, for being transgender. You could throw people out for that. And we would, we would try to find them a place, we would store their things in someone's garage. It was kind of pandemonium. And so it's always been very close to me. Uh, issues of housing, issues of people's rights and as the great, uh, the great takeover of corporations in this country that have, has spread to housing where so much housing is corporately owned. The displacement is so extreme. And I think uh, lesbians suffer a lot from it because women do not make as much money for the same jobs as men and lesbians even if you're married you're both making less money on chances are pretty good so i think those things really come together and then i just hate to see anybody displaced i don't care who they are
2: and most recently the eighth healthcare foundation has uh really become part of this rising statewide tenants rights movement so to give our listeners of the background Um, movements for housing rights have risen and then not risen Uh, in the 1940s in new york we had a housing crisis that led to a tenants' rights movement that got rent control in new york in the mid to late 1970s in california we had a housing crisis that got us rent control in los angeles and in some cities in the bay area in 1984 in uh, West Hollywood, when those movements were born from necessity, they were born from people being backed up against the wall, not being able, able to afford their rent. It's happening again now. It started about two years ago, really, really hit a crisis point towards the end of 2016. And the AIDS Healthcare Foundation, which started doing hospice work, is now doing way more than hospice work, is a leader in this tenants' rights movement. Tell me about history.
3: Well, AHF, uh, when the meds came in in 96, 1996, AHF just jumped up and down with joy, and we left on it faster and harder than anyone. And we were successful in building clinics. We are now 39 countries were the largest provider of health care to people with HIV in the world. And we, we were happily able to close our hospices as, as people cycled out because they were getting, well, they were getting better. Uh, They were living in a well fashion. They saw the, the disease, but it suppresses it. So we became very involved in clinics because the urgency, get the medications out there and people will live. So we went into that. Then as the housing crisis hit here, our patients were unhoused. Our patients, they, they most of them live on very limited income because we're a provider that never turns anyone away for lack of ability to pay. So we have a very, very vastly majority census of patients are low low very low income and so suddenly our patients they're one of their biggest problems with housing you know years ago we actually did housing demonstrations about uh the housing uh, opportunities for people with aids federal program well I was not spending our money and, and our patients were were cycling through homelessness because of it we actually did demonstrations we sat in and on uh, then Mayor Reardon's lawn. And we did all of these big demonstrations because our assistance money wasn't being spent. So we have a real history with this. And our patients started coming in and saying, "You know, I don't know uh, which clinic I'll be coming to or any clinic because I'm losing my housing. Mm-hmm. And one of the key factors for whether a person will take their meds, I mean, it's it's just way up there. The, the only bigger factor is whether you can get the meds or not is housing people who are not housed do not take their meds, and certainly HIV meds, but other meds too. So it's a public housing crisis, and AHF very involved in other types of uh, public health as well. So, so for us, this is urgent. This is about our patients. It's about everyone, and people tend to contract disease and have a lot more problems with disease, contract HIV much more if they're homeless. Also so we have a clinic right down at skid row in downtown so we have been front and center seeing that we purchased a building the madison in on skid row and we have rehabbed it and we are uh, putting uh, people in it it had almost no one in it when we bought it and now it's getting filled up we purchased a motel on sunset boulevard that will be transitional housing for families we're Finishing up on it and bringing people in, we are building housing in Florida because we are all over the United States. Our care is in many states, and we have, and our patients and other people. It won't just be our patients. We'll be taking all sorts of folks, and and we're hoping to create a model. This this business of of every low cost housing unit is for over four hundred thousand dollars to build. We don't believe that, we're proving it different. We have a different model and we're proving that you can build housing for half of that or or a little more than half, which then allows you to build more housing and it allows you to have more of that housing below low income.
2: One of the things I say often is that we can't build our way out of this crisis. It costs between $700 and $1,000 to save someone's home by paying a good eviction lawyer to fight the eviction, and $100,000 in land costs alone to build a unit of affordable housing. So I absolutely agree with you that we need to build, but we also need to preserve what we have, and we also need to get a handle on how expensive it is to build affordable housing. And I also have experienced the Um, repercussions of instability. In the 1980s, I actually was part of a group of people that spent a month on the street as part of a protest. And it is amazing how your mind starts to shift and how unfocused you can become and how a paper cut can turn into a major infection because you can't wash your hands as regularly. And all of these things that we take for granted, including being able to stay on top of our regular business by taking that become impossible. The threat to the loss of people's homes is the second most stressful experience anyone will ever have. The loss of a close loved one being number one, and the loss of a job being number three, with a major life-threatening illness actually falling fourth on the list, which I've always found kind of interesting. Um, So, last August, uh, I'm sure you noticed, the rise in rent. We certainly noticed it at the Eviction Defense Network prior to August of last year. If someone had been in their housing less than two years, they were willing to move out. So often people would fall into some financial hardship, not be able to pay their rent, or have some sort of conflict with their landlord. The landlord wants them out, and they would get an eviction proceeding, but there was a willingness on the part of the tenant to move out and a willingness on the part of the landlord so let them go with a clean record and some saved money so they could make a transition elsewhere. Starting in August of 2016, that changed. And by November of 2016, 90, 87% of our clients wanted to stay. And it's because rent had risen so dramatically that people could not find replacement housing. And that's about the time that the AIDS Healthcare Foundation called me and basically posed out what the hell's going on? And how come our patients can't find places to go when they are displaced from their housing? So we had a meeting about it and we talked about the reasons. And one of the reasons that we identified was a law that was passed in nineteen ninety-five called Costa Hawkins. And that law state bill weakened rent control. And made it harder for us to pass new rent control. And the AT Healthcare Foundation got involved in the movement. Tell us a little bit about how
3: you're involved, what you're doing around cost to, to hospital. Yes, um, Elena really gave us focus, she really gave us great information, it really helped us move forward knowledgeably. And again, our patients it, were pretty much the same profile as Elena's clients. Uh, When it got impossible to move, they were between the proverbial rock and a hard place. So one of the things that we're doing now, and and we're working on it, is a possible initiative to repeal Costa-Hawkins, which is a very draconian and bizarre law that forbids people to, to the municipalities to do rent control in a modern fashion. And I remember 1978 when we got rent stabilization here in Los Angeles, and I think it's key. I mean, I don't think a city can create itself as a county, a city as a livable place where where it has uh, a nice mix of people. Who's going to go work in these jobs? Where are they going to live? The city's interest itself should be very tied up with rent control because otherwise you have an unstable city. And that isn't even to speak of the human suffering, which is so great. So for us, uh, alleviating human suffering is a big deal, whether it's our patients, whether it's anybody you can think of, social justice and and alleviating rent control are extremely important. And as Elena points out, losing our rent-stabilized Uh, housing we're losing that it's such a clip Uh, I believe it's a statistic that that Elena said was over 2,000 a year of these affordable units are being are being destroyed and and between moving people out and destroying units we're just pushing people off the edge of a cliff
2: so between 55,000 and 73,000 units are lost a year in LA County through eviction alone, through the actual eviction process. A few minutes ago, you mentioned that you first met more Kite in the anti war movement. Yes. And I've actually always marveled at how LGBTQ people, uh, you know, we have our movement, but we're always helping other people. Talk a little about that. We're always
3: involved in other movements. That's really true. I mean, the proportion of LGBTQ people who are involved and all it is it is all—it never ceases to amaze me um and and it's it's quite inspiring I mean uh, a prime leader in our movement a prime pioneer was Mars Kite he was a big leader in the anti-war movement and you know here I see we LGBTQ people have have, have a huge interest in helping people in many ways and uh, helping tenants is only one of them. I, I would guess that that we are a rather large percentage tenant-based group of people. Um, a, quite a lot of LGBTQ people, particularly young people, have a harder start in life. Uh, a lot of times they don't have as much parental support. Um, at least now people can get married. They used to have a lot of trouble with one People would be together 30 years and one would die and the family would come in who hadn't spoken to somebody in 30 years, take the housing and the other would be left. So I think I think there's a lot of empathy for other people. And also we recognize we're part of the population as a whole and if anything affects anyone, it affects us and it affects us deeply.
2: A couple of years ago, a young uh, straight lawyer meant, uh, commented to me, that um, the bulk, the vast majority of tenants' rights lawyers in LA County at the time were lesbians. Um, all of us in all, in the LGBT movement, and other uh, as well, but fighting for tenants' rights. So I think we're going to take a short break at this point and then come back with Paul Langto. Um, and we're going to be playing a song called I Love Madly by Irene. Yeah. Then, if you want to, uh, more information about the show, please go on QTalkRadio.com. If you want information about the Eviction Defense Net- Networks campaign to resist, resist, resist all displacement in LA County, hashtag on every fridge. And we'll be talking a little bit more about that in the next part of the show. Enjoy the song.
0: we'll just a taste of this Oh it's one of us. So beautiful, yes they are. Filled with honeydew flowers and guitars. Now wrote a song for you to sing how special you are. Oh.
2: The Q-Talk Radio. You can find us at qtalkradio.com We have been listening to I Love You Madly by local LA artist Irene Diaz. Hope you enjoyed the song. This morning we've been talking to Mickey Jackson from the AIDS Healthcare Foundation about housing, housing rights, and the AIDS Healthcare Foundation's role in the housing rights movement. And now we are joined by Paul legto of the Los Angeles and then welcome Paul. Hi, um, thanks for having me. Yes, so I wanted to start by asking you, why housing? How did you get involved in this rising statewide movement that is calling for resistance to all displacements of any tenant in the state of California? How did you get involved?
1: Yeah, well, first I, uh, I joined the LA Tenants Union about a year and a half ago, um, and I got involved really for two reasons. One was uh, wanting to be more active in my community and getting to know my neighbors. Um, and the other reason was when you live in L.A., you can't really escape the housing struggle. You see it every day. You see the homelessness struggle every day when you go for walks on the street and you see the changing neighborhoods. Um, you yeah. know, I live in West Adams, which is historically, historically been a high, high population and a high Latino population, and you see... Every week, there's a house that's been flipped in the neighborhood, and there's a higher student population coming in from the USC area, so you just see these neighborhoods changing and uh, changing at the expense of people's livelihoods and people's housing, so it's really an urgent issue, and it kind of forces you to be involved or to be pushed to the wayside, really.
2: So I explained earlier that I'm the executive director of a housing rights organization that represents tenants and evictions and does all kinds of anti-displacement, housing justice, access to justice, resisting displacement work. And we are very active with the LA Tenants uh, Union and very supportive of their work. Tell us a little bit about the exposition building and what you're trying to accomplish there.
1: Yeah, so um, with the LA Tenants Union, um, I'm a member of the South LA Local. And one of our current battles right now is uh, with the exposition uh, evictions, which are seven buildings off of Exposition of Vermont, so right on the Expo line and a block from USC, that were purchased back in the end of September um, for $10 million. And immediately, uh, within two weeks, the new owners put Eviction notices on all of the doors of all of the units um, with the intent of renovating and converting the units into USC student housing. And these are predominantly people of color, all working class, low income folks, um, many on Section 8, and many were in a transitional housing program, uh, the pilot program, which is administered by the county to get folks off of the streets, and now they're being kicked back onto the streets uh, for USC students. So this is a battle that's been underway for months now, um, in which we're fighting to, to get a meeting with the owners to really negotiate the rights for these tenants to stay in their homes. Um, and we've had multiple public actions, solidarity with uh, different organizations like ACE um, and the Fight for 15, which we just had an action pretty recently in which we did a large march around USC. Um, and so that's kind of the battle that's been going
2: on with that. And Ace is the Alliance of Californians for Community Empowerment, a great statewide organization that's also working on that bill to repeal Costa Hawkins that Mickey Jackson was talking about and does a lot of great work around neighborhood preservation. And someday I think we'll have them
1: on a future show.
2: Um, so why can the landlord just put eviction notices on the door?
1: So, yeah. Because these units were um, all non-RSO units, which is the rent Stabilization Ordinance, um, when you're in a non-RSO unit, the landlord has the right to evict you for any reason or for no reason at all, really, uh, within 30 days if you've only lived there for less than a year. And if you've lived there for more than a year, they can evict you uh, with a notice of 60 days. Um, and that's all they have to do. They don't have to provide a reason. You don't have to have violated anything, even if you've been paying your rent on time. Um, a landlord can just do this because they have the desire to, because they want to make more money, and because uh, the city is, you know, valuing money over people's livelihoods. When there's not a universal rent control, really, um, in rent-controlled units, there are more protections. Uh, there are eviction protections and protections against annual rent increases in which you can only have your rent increase of 3 to 5% each year. Um, but that still doesn't protect you against harassment from the landlords. Uh, so there's all sorts of issues going around, uh, around that.
2: So the exposition building is not protected by rent control, even though it is in L.A. And the reason for that is?
1: Uh, because of Casa Hawkins. The Casa Hawkins Act, largely, um, in which prevents, Uh, local municipalities from passing their own rent control uh, laws and so since 1995 or so uh, the city hasn't been able to pass its own uh, rent control laws to help protect tenants in this way.
2: Um, In 2008 there was an attempt to eliminate rent control in in the then 11 cities that had it in the state of California and I got involved in the movement to Stop that. And I remember one day after phone banking, there were 16 phone makers and none of them were tenants. And I realized that all of us had been tenants when we first got involved in the Tenants' Rights Movement, but we had all bought our own homes. And some of them very few people can do these days because of this horrible economy and the, the ability of people to um, make huge profits off of. Uh, property which is making affordable impossible for people to buy their own home and in any event what i realized then is that we really needed to have a tenants' movement led by tenants and the la tenants union does that but people have to suit up and show up if they want to protect their their housing um these, these units at expedition are not protected because in 1977 When we were fighting for rent control, there weren't enough tenants in the room to persuade the city council that we should protect all new units. So when the developers came in and said, no, we won't build anymore if you protect new construction, the city council official And then in 1995, the state legislature should put a, a nail on the coffin and said, you can't protect units that were built after the law was enacted. So it's now been since 1978, that's a lot of years, it's a lot of unprotected units. And we have situations like exposition where we simply have to organize in order to protect those tenants because the law does not really protect them. Mm -hmm. Tell us about the recent victory at Moriante Plaza.
1: Yeah, so uh, going on that, that's kind of the the void that the L.A. Tenants uh, Union uh, fits in being an entirely tenant-led movement, an entirely volunteer-based movement. And one of the big victories we've had, uh, as you just mentioned, is the Mariachi uh, victory, in which there was uh, 25 units that were served with notices that the rent was going to increase $800 a month um, a, about a year ago now, and that forced people to into action. These were also not rent-controlled units, just as in the exposition housing uh, apartments, Um, and basically this led to a year-long struggle with uh, a a legal battle and a a very large political battle in getting public support and showing up to courtrooms and and mass numbers. um, Solidarity organizations uh, would do tent encampments in front of the owner's house uh, to really try to force the owner to to be reasonable and to meet with these people and to realize the life that he's affecting by doing these increases and forcing these people out uh, just to make a profit. Um, And recently uh, they were able to finally come to an agreement uh, just a couple weeks ago in which the Mariachis essentially want a rent control agreement in a non-rent control apartment. Um, Their rent for drops, uh, the Initial increases dropped dramatically, and for the next three and a half years, I believe it's uh, held to the standard of rent control at five percent each year. Um, and after that three and a half years is up, they're also able to negotiate and they're given the right to negotiate a new deal with the, the landlord. Um, that and by then we're going to have rent control,
2: yeah. So, yeah, it, it, it was quite the victory and let's give credit where credit is due there the la tenants union played a huge part in the organizing union de vecinos which is another group that organizes tenants on the east side and the la center for community law and action was the legal team and i recently heard a presentation by the lawyers from LACLA with the tenants and union de vecinos and one of the points that the lawyer made is that at the first meeting with the tenants, he was completely upfront with them, there are no legal handles here, or very weak legal handles. And so the organizing really needed to take a lead in that, getting public support for the plight of these families with long tenancy in this building. And the building that's out Mariachis Plaza, and they're Mariachis for the most part, and so they've got have, have a huge um, emotional connection to living uh, near Maria Chisubasa, as well an economic connection. And this the new owner comes in and says, You can stay here if you can afford these exorbitant rents, but they couldn't absor- uh, uh, afford those exorbitant rents. And this um, social movement then led to saving those units, and we're really happy about that. Um, Tell us about Burlington,
1: which is the the newest effort and very exciting yesterday. Yes, so Burlington, uh, the Burlington Apartments are over 300 units that uh, have all, are also not rent control, uh, kind of in the Vermont, uh, Beverly area that uh, have been experiencing severe landlord harassment in which the landlord shut off the, the power and water in all of the units. And it's trying to harass them out of these units, essentially. Um, so that's a massive complex. I mean, 300 units, 300 families is an insane amount. And now the, the current struggle with them is organizing them and using the precedent of the mariachis to really stand up for your own rights when the city won't help you and when the law is not on your side to demand a change and to demand the right to stay in your homes and to stay in, in a livable, affordable homes.
2: In that case, uh, Mitchell Farrell, their council member, instead of coming out and supporting them, actually sent private emails to some of the organizers saying, you better not be promoting rent strikes there. Um, And it isn't that we're promoting a rent strike as much as people cannot afford these rents, so they're not going to be paying these rents in April. And they're living in horrible conditions, so they have a right to withhold rent. So yes, uh, last week, the tenants prepared a rent strike.
1: Um, they all bought
2: their money orders. They filled them out to the owner. They made copies of them. And on the copy, they wrote which means strike, and turned them in to the manager. And if the owner wants to have, wants to get their rent, the owner has to come to the table and negotiate with these tenants for repairs, for better treatment, and for reasonable rent increases. Um, the concept is one of a collective bargaining agreement. That's what the mariachi's got—a collective agreement that protects all of these otherwise unprotected tenants. Very much the way labor unions come into a workspace where you workers have few rights as well, and they negotiate a collective employment agreement um, with the owners, so that or, or the owners of the factory or of the business. Um, so that tenants will have protections that the law does not give them. You know, people need to resist. They need to resist injustice. They need to resist displacement. They need to resist large rent increases. They need to protect their homes. And uh, and uh, I, for one, am very proud to be a member of the Tenants Union, a non-voting member with a member of the board, and uh, only tenants get to vote. Um, I will say that, you know, often when I walk into a group of tenants, the lawyer walks in and the dynamic shifts. And the dynamic shifts from one in which the lawyer has way more power, no matter how hard you try not to have power. a Tenant Union meetings, that does not happen. When I walk in, I am just but one other person in the room and have less institutional power in that room than everybody else because I don't have a vote. I can speak, I can apply, but I don't have a vote. And that is the way that a tenant movement should be led. And I am very proud to be a part of that. Do you want to talk a little to about that?
1: Yeah, I think that really just goes with uh, centering uh, kind of the, the most oppressed in, in the city and building the struggle out of that. Um, we define a tenant as anyone who does not control their housing situation. So that includes the homeless, that includes uh, folks paying rent, and that includes folks who have a living situation that they have no control in, if they've been forced to live with family, and because of these rising rents or something like that. Um, and so that we center our mission is is on tenants' rights, and so that's anything that is affecting tenants, whether that is ICE knocking on the door and, and fighting against uh, the immigration anti-immigration raids, as well as your your rights as a as citizen and being able to afford your housing. So that, that's kind of what that is all around really. Great.
2: So we're just gonna wind down our first show and I wanna again, go back to the, to the voice of queer people in movement um, and sort of focus on that point again a little bit more. When I was asked to do the show, Two weeks ago, um, I put out an email to uh, find folks that were queer that would want to come on the show. I thought at least the first show should be um, LGBT folks talking about uh, the issue from their own perspective. And I was surprised actually at how many members of the Tennessee Union are queer. It was like no shortage of of, uh, (laughs) of, uh, people who could come on the show. And um, two of the founders, Walt Centerfit and Don Rhine were active in ACT UP. And so do you know the story of, of, of Dawn and Walt and how they came to be such an important part of this organization?
1: Yeah, I know a bit. I know that they were very active in, uh, in the ACT UP movement. Um, and about three or four years ago, they were, all along with several other you know, folks in the community were served with Ellis Act eviction, which is uh, a way for tenants to evict rent-controlled units despite having eviction protections. Ellis Act was a law that was passed to really over, you know, overdo that and evict these tenants. So that struggle came out of a lot of folks in the queer community actually losing their housing because of this law, despite supposedly, to, you know, being supposed to have these rights, um, and so they having these organizing skills built up in the queer community and, and, and the fight for their rights under ACT UP really kind of started to build this housing rights movement so it was built uh, largely by queer people and it continues to be led by a lot of queer folks in the, in the community.
2: Yeah. So I would say that uh, don't mess with queer people because they don't mess with anybody when there's a queer person around because they're going to down damned up and do something about it and don't mess with queer people and their housing or you're gonna get this rising tennis movement out of it. Um, there were folks in three different buildings and Waltz was within one building and Don't with another and then other folks were, not, were in other buildings and they started, they knew each other and they had all gotten notices under this law called Ellis that allows the landlord in a rent controlled building to just go out of business, civic everyone at once. We need to repeal that law. And when they started talking to each other, they decided it was time to form some sort of tenancy And now we have a, we have a, a very, very active, 3,000-member strong, nine-chapters organization that is the winds of change, um, certainly in Los Angeles, and contributing in a very significant way, uh, both statewide, including helping found other tenants unions and also on also helping units in other parts of the country so thank you for joining us today March 18th and we hope you will join us on April 15th the next airing of our show and in the meantime if you want more information to talk dot-com or hashtag on every fridge for a list of resources uh, and organizations that you can get involved with, it with to stop displacement. Um, get involved in only way we will be able to save our community. Thank you and have a happy Sunday.